Hi, I'm Shona. And I'm Craig. And this is London by Lockdown, a travel podcast about falling in love with the new city in strange times, remaining curious and open, enjoying everyday discoveries and making it work. As you'll hear, it's taken a couple of months to get this episode out. That was because I was finding London overwhelming and I had to step away from the production and editing. So today's the 16th of December. A bit's been happening over the last three weeks or so. So in late November, news broke of a new variant and then really quickly the World Health Organization called it a variant of concern based on a large number of mutations scientists are basically tracking it in real time to figure out what it is and how it works. You've been following this, I haven't. So what do we know now? That it spreads really rapidly and that many people who've either had COVID or been fully vaccinated are also getting it. So then what are the assumptions then? This is really changing day by day and the things that I guess they're looking into is perhaps it doesn't make you as sick as Delta, but that's really kind of a waiting game. There's also a lot of discussion about the impact of vaccination. So it doesn't stop you from getting Omicron, but does it give you protection from serious illness? Given that protection from vaccination wanes over time, there's also been a big drive for boosters, but all of that's still being worked out. And so what about the UK? What about here? (sighs) It just feels like a rerun of last year. I mean, it's just, it's actually just crazy. The government has just been very slow to act. They introduced a requirement to wear masks inside. They're now doing a major booster drive, but you're still able to go to the pub, to nightclubs, as long as you're vaccinated. Given that we're not quite sure the level of protection the vaccination gives you, it just seems crazy. In London specifically, Omicron has now taken over Delta. All right. And... I haven't told you this before, but the stats yesterday, there were 78,000 new cases. So even if Omicron isn't as serious, there's obviously concerns about the health system getting overwhelmed. Those high levels are reflecting poor public policy from two weeks ago, really. Yeah. So, But it's a bit scary. I can see that on your face. <laughs> so we're still being cautious? As usual, yeah. Yep. And we've been doing those antigen tests, which look a bit like a pregnancy test. They give them away like candy here. I think in Australia they're like 50 yeah, bucks or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, whoever came up with the antigen tests, I struggle with written instructions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're so clear and so easy. It's actually really good. Through all this, though, you've been working from home. I've been really lucky. I did go into the office once in September, and that was a bit surreal. All the cupboard doors are closed off. They've roped off half the desks. You have to sort of register so they don't have too many people going in at once. And there's a lot of disinfectant and hand sanitizer around. It did actually feel pretty safe. But the day I went in, because I had all these meetings with people who were working from home, I ended up on Zoom anyway. The day anyway, yeah. Yeah. But I guess shifting gears a little bit, this show is actually all about us getting out and about as things began to open up. So even though we're being very cautious now, given what's happened over the last couple of weeks, this really captures a time when we were trying to get out and about in the community a bit more. It was also putting um, new stuff 
in our head and trying to just manage a little bit of anxiety. So one of the big names in London when it comes to museums is the British Museum, but their history and their present is actually pretty rocky. The British Museum isn't about Britain. It's kind of a throwback to a really colonial mentality projecting how knowledgeable England is about the rest of the world. We don't want to waste our time talking about the British Museum. (laughs) Just if you need a shorthand, using the magic of audio, according to the British Museum, Britain's role in world history sounds a little something like this. And according to the rest of the world, the British role in world history sounds a little like this. That's really common knowledge that there's all these stolen artefacts in their collection that they refuse to hand back. In episode 12, we heard Rodney Kelly talking about his efforts to get back the Gweagle shield. And since then, Cambridge University has handed back the Gweagle spears. But uh, so far, nothing from the British Museum. And that's long overdue from Cambridge University. But there's something powerful to be said. We got it wrong. This should never have happened. We're handing them back. It's also come under fire for its sponsorship by oil company BP. And the Science Museum has also come under fire for just taking sponsorship from Adani as well as Shell. Yeah, but one of the sponsorships was for an exhibition about the climate crisis as well. There's been some amazing youth (laughs) climate activists who've said we're going to boycott that exhibition. And they also said people who are putting that exhibition came to protest, asked for our placards, put them in the exhibition, and they're like, we want our placards back. And scientists too, haven't they? They've been resigning from boards and saying they won't work with these museums. That's part of a brilliant movement, I think, called Culture Unstained, with groups like BP or Not BP, who have been saying we need to take fossil fuel money out of arts, out of culture. So today, this episode's actually about three really excellent adventures that we went on. Welcome to episode 15. Not the British Museum. (laughs) Yes. Cool. That sounded good. Victorian London, Nunhead Cemetery, September 4, 2021, Open Day. Consecrated in 1840, Nunhead Cemetery is one of the seven great Victorian cemeteries of London. Come with us and see a horse-drawn hearse, walk past a murder of goths, is that even the correct plural noun, and finish off with an ice cream or a cuppa and a scone. Bear with us, the audio is a little patchy due to our excitement at being out and about for the first time in a while, and because we're wearing masks. Where are we headed? We're headed to the Nunheaded Cemetery, open day. It's basically a fate in a cemetery. Yes. So we're now next to the cemetery, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't actually know that was a cemetery inside, you just think it was like... Oh, an overgrown park, yeah. The walls are pretty old and they've got lots of moss growing on them and there's... Ivy poking out. Yeah. And big tall tree. Yeah, quite nice in, the, in that sense that it's, it's actually not overrunning any, anything, but it's actually uh, just left to grow of its own accord. Oh, this is really crowded. Oh. Yeah, yeah, this is like a huge, there's a bug hunt. 
there's an ambulance on hand. I'm not yep. sure if that's setting the right signal in a cemetery. This is weird, Craig. There is someone selling um, soft serve at the entry, like just inside the cemetery. Let's go up here. Like I thought there'd be like three people here, but people love the cemetery. So now a, a horse and cart is coming. I think this is a, a purse. Oh, right. Let's go up to see if we can hear it. Okay. But a white purse was normally reserved for the use of an unmarried woman or sadly a child. Uh, these days, of course, uh, it's really a matter of fashion what your choice might be if you want to use a uh, horse-drawn horse. Uh, they're, they're very much more popular these days than they, they have been. So this is a horse-drawn carriage and it's a white purse with black horses. There's also a lot of dogs to our right. Oh yes there are. <laughs> <laughs> Straight out of 1983. There was an awesome dude with like spiky red hair and like punk goth, which is great. It's a really unique mix of like local fate, cemetery, local history. Now all the goths are having their photo taken together. Well, I'm glad we came. I feel like I have to order something to say that we've been at a cafe in the middle of the from the outside it seems like a strange thing to do and it may still be a strange thing to do but it's really attracting a whole bunch of people and I guess educating about the importance of rewilding and these sorts of areas, yeah. Well they had a bug punch and what I love is that one of the little kids has disco shoes on so like he's been roaming around looking for bugs and then you'll see this like bright disco lights come out the back of his heels. Not sure how helpful that is for finding bugs. I'd hazard to guess good for mum and dad to find. <laughs> I think we should we should end with our cup of tea and a gin and oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're whittling a magic wand. Trick is to use your whole arm, even though it looks like so often it looks like you're just using your hand or your wrist. Yeah, you're saying that's just for the delicate end work, but it's the uh, the grunt whittling. That chair is beautiful. Will you have some tea if I get some? Or? Okay, you get some breakfast tea. And we can get jam scones. Uh, Could we get one black currant and one apricot, please? Nice. Yes. This is the way every jaunt to a cemetery should end. Subterranean London. The Rail Mail, October 2, 2021. Travel with us on London's 100-year-old postal railway. The Rail Mail is a narrow-gauge, driverless underground electric train that opened in 1927 in order to avoid London's road traffic congestion delays. For 76 years, it buzzed to and fro under the city, delivering millions of letters every day. Here we are in one of the tiny train carriages. I'm glad I didn't have any extra breakfast because I don't think I would fit. This <laughs> <laughs> tiny. It's tiny. It's like... It's hard to explain how small this is. It's a little train and 
It's kind of like the size of a kid's toy train, but then it's it got is. a little bit of circular glass over the top. And if I sit up any higher, my head might hit the top and we're about five foot, yeah, three, nothing. five foot four. <laughs> All right, we're off. Hello and welcome to Mail Rail. You're about to explore some of London's hidden underground postal railway. I'm Andy, your guide today, and I'm joined by Ray Middlesworth. Hi, Ray. I worked here as an engineer for 27 years, keeping the trains running. We're just going east. We came to a fork into a tunnel, so we've taken the east tunnel. If, if we didn't have this glass over our head, I reckon I could reach out and touch the corner of the tunnel. Oh, Did yeah. you spot some sand? Okay, so we've just stopped at the platform. We're under Mount Pleasant sorting office, heading east to Whitechapel. And there's a video. <laughs> On, on the wall. It was hard work down here, but we all thought we were part of something important. I'll tell you two things that sum up the 70s. Postcodes made life a lot easier, and strikes made life not so easy. Our postcode was SE14 5SG. Postcodes in the UK can be very specific and will sometimes serve as few as 15 addresses. These trains are really like a, a mini mini Trainloads of mail arrived at every station, every few minutes, with less than 60 seconds to unload and reload. But I really love how this is just celebrating the planning or the engineering, but it's all the workers. Yeah. It's really lovely. We hope you'll enjoy exploring the rest of the exhibition just as much. Goodbye. Goodbye. The tunnel off to the left leads to Liverpool Street Station. That was awesome. Yes, we are now back where we started. I put my mask back on. That was awesome. Yeah. That was so good. And they had a bit, you know, they had a bit in there talking about the engineering and mm -hmm. the public discussion and stuff. But the really cool thing was just how much it was focused on the workers. So even things when they are describing the team and they're saying, you know, it took a team to keep it going from the people who'd moved the mailbags to the cleaners to the engineers. And it was just one of the most inclusive exhibitions I've seen in terms of white times. Yep. And if you couldn't get in the very tiny train, they had a space where you could actually view the audio-visual presentation, just not in the train. So you could maybe have part of your crew getting on the train and then you could go and sit in that little bit and watch the videos yeah. and still get a sense of... And then both meet back at the same place yeah. and know exactly what was happening. And then they had a lot of really interactive stuff as well. So we timed ourselves. You could have sorting a, the mail. Sorting the mail. You did it in 42 seconds, which is great because there was a new train coming every 60 seconds. So, and I had, I was nowhere. <laughs> I was in the, I was in the long grass. I was in the weeds. And the floor was moving as well, so it was set up as if you were on a train yeah, yeah, yeah. carriage. And then they had little things like they'd kept the platforms at the various stops pretty much as they were. So on one, you had the dartboard, had a big speaker, like, yeah, yeah it was really cool. And it's probably one of the kind of like touristy type things. Like it, it's, it feels like it was very much set up if you had a family member who worked on the rail. Mm. Like my dad started his career as a clerk on the, um, on the rail. Living London, London's Migration Museum, November 5, 2021, Lewisham Shopping Centre.
London's Migration Museum explores how the movement of people to and from the UK over the past 400 years has sculpted the country. It's brilliant. I might be going out on a limb here, but every single shopping centre in the entire world should be obligated to give space to community initiatives like London's Migration Museum. Bear with us again, the audio is a little patchy because we're recording in a shopping centre while wearing masks. Looking for the Migration Museum. So we're passing H&M, Greg's, and... You know what that place is? Hairdressers, maybe? Yeah. There's a lot of sales on at the moment. Here it is. <laughs> we just found it squeezed in between a 2K Max... And across from... A Starbucks. And here outside is two parts of the Berlin Wall. Like, there's two images, like graffiti art drawn directly onto the wall. And so these figures represent everything we do at the Migration Museum, providing a space for dialogue and reflection across divides and finding what we have in common. I think I'm going to like this place already. I just walked through the Berlin Wall. I think I'm happy just to wander around. I love it. This bit looks like an airport. Good, thanks. Are we OK just to wander around? Absolutely, yeah. So Each departure gate in this exhibition explores different reasons for why people have left prison. Many are the same reasons why people are coming here. Oh, wow. So this is an old poster, I'm guessing, advertising immigration. The stars which shine over Australia, the land of opportunity. The call of the stars to British men and women. Men for the land, women for the home. Employment guaranteed, good wages, plenty of opportunity. Wow. Oh, this is a bit confronting. Good though. There's a little film. More than 130,000 children are sent to Canada, Australia, New Zealand and Zimbabwe with the promise of a better life. For many it turns out badly. The culture's broken when you're sending children away. So let's move to Patagonia. Today 5,000 Argentinians speak Welsh. You know, this just feels like it's actually really powerful just to be in spaces here where people acknowledge colonialism and how awful it was because so much of things like the British Museum and other places is just pretending it never happened. This is amazing. Wandering through the museum, we come across Room to Breathe, an exhibition that's a lounge room, a kitchen, a schoolroom and a barbershop. We're encouraged to make the rooms our own, open drawers, look through cupboards, settle into an armchair, listen to people's stories. In this way, we celebrate the richness and the diversity that migration brings to everyday life in the UK. At the height of the Industrial Revolution, Cornwall was producing up to two-thirds of the world's copper and tin. By the late 19th century, its mines were in decline due to exhausted seams and foreign competition. Facing limited opportunities at home, but with their skills greatly in demand overseas, Cornish miners headed out across the globe. Like these Cornish miners, many people have left Britain over the past 400 years as a result of declining opportunities. 
or even desperate conditions at home, coupled with the promise of making it big in a new land. At times, so many people left that policymakers worried about labour shortages and a brain drain in Britain. <laughs> Quite rightly, by the sounds of things. <laughs> in other cases, people were encouraged to emigrate to ease pressure on the economy at home. But what happened to those who left? Some prospered, but others found that conditions were no better or even worse than those they had left behind. Here's a brief list of some of the languages spoken in Lewisham. Romanian. Yoruba. Turkish. Spanish. Igbo. Portuguese. Chinese. Arabic. Lithuanian. French. Albanian. Polish. Italian. Urdu. Punjabi. Pashtu. Somali. Akan. Dutch. Idoma. Vietnamese. Wolof. Russian. Sinhala. Shona. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Swahili. Armenian. Burmese. Kikuyu. Creole. Lingala. Luganda. Nepali. Telugu. Kesu. Well played, Lewisham. Well played. Oh, that was so great listening back to those adventures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a bit anxious when we started going out. Quite rightly. And I think in, what was it, in the cemetery trip, I was so excited, I kept not speaking. Into in, the microphone. Into the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> One of the cool things in researching some adventures to be had, we found out there's a whole movement of people trying to set up museums that tell the real histories, the real stories of marginalised peoples and underrepresented peoples and local and national movements and debates that surround them. So we checked out the Museum of Neoliberalism. We also went to the world's first vagina museum, which at that time was in Camden Market. Unfortunately, their lease wasn't renewed, so they're looking for a new home. Yeah, which is a shame. And there were a couple that we haven't gotten to, but sound amazing. So the Climate Museum UK... It's charting collective responses to the climate emergency. The aim is to use artistic approaches to really talk about the climate crisis, explore it, and to get people engaged in it. The Museum of Homelessness is a pop-up museum and archive which is created and run by people with direct experience of homelessness. There's also a community group up the road from us in Deptford who are campaigning for a museum of slavery and freedom on the site of the old Royal Navy dockyard, which was one of the key pillars of the Atlantic slave trade. Yeah. There is also the Black Cultural Archives in Brixton, the George Padmore Institute in North London, and the Feminist Library in Peckham. One of the most amazing podcasts I've found since coming to London is called The Logbooks, and it goes into the archive of a volunteer-run LGBTI support service, and literally the notes that volunteers were making when they were taking those calls. And through that archive and also through other interviews, they tell the history of the LGBTI movement in England in a really honest way, charting the ups and the downs and the changes over time. It's just really incredible, amazing creative use of archives as well and that storytelling. And one of my favourite quotes is by activist Kwame Toure, who says that history is made by everybody every day. So I think having 
those community stories like valued and treasured and stored is just amazing the opposite of what i was taught a museum was which is about communicating how little you know (laughs) about the world thank you so much for listening to london by lockdown we hope that wherever you are you're finding ways to be kind to yourself you're staying safe whether you're somewhere that's opening up or whether you're somewhere where perhaps there's a few more restrictions and we hope that you'll join us for our next adventure part of the reason why it's been a little while since our last show is because because we've been working on not quite right for us which is a podcast series with speaking volumes and all eight episodes are now up. Woo-hoo. Oh, I missed it. Oh. And all eight episodes are now up. Woo-hoo. No. <laughs> and all eight episodes are now up. Woo-hoo. Oh, dear. We could go on for hours about this. Yeah, it's so great. Check it out. It's check amazing. It out. We've got links. Yeah. Unlike the British Museum and Science Museum, London by Lockdown and its affiliates have never and will never accept sponsorship money from fossil fuel companies like Adani or BP. Thanks to Registered Master Builder and the Free Music Archive for all our music. For more information about the London Migration Museum, go to www.migrationmuseum.org and that's all one word. For more information about the Rail Mail, go to www.postalmuseum.org, again, all one word. And for information about Nunhead Cemetery and Friends of Nunhead Cemetery, go to www.fonc.org.uk. For more information about the BP or Not BP campaign, go to our show notes.